Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 113 of High Character, presented by Homefield Apparel. No music today, obviously, not a music-type episode, given what happened this weekend and the full consequences of it. UMass got swept by BC. It wasn't pretty in a lot of ways. We're going to break it down. Uh, my name is Cameron, and as always, I'm joined by my good pal, Evan. Evan, I know what your answer to my usual question is going to be, so I would We'll ask, how was your day today before one o'clock? It was solid. Had a nice breakfast with some catching up with some old friends. That was pretty good. You you picked a really, really good question to lead off with, Cam. I'll give you that. You're really good at reading the room. If if I do if I do kind of want to extend it to other facets, ah man, I'm angry. Um, I know it probably doesn't sound like it in my voice. I'm trying to keep it together for the purposes of the podcast, but Deep down inside, I am angry. Um, we'll definitely touch upon the reasons why. If you guys haven't already seen our most likely viral trending videos right now on either uh, Instagram or Twitter, but yeah, things things could definitely be going better for sure, Cam. Well, before we get into the the ugliness of what we're going to talk about, let's talk about something good for a minute or two here. Homefield oh, apparel. Go. We love Homefield Apparel. They have some awesome UMass designs. They're a premium collegiate apparel company. They have over 150 schools. UMass is one of them, and their UMass line is just legendary. They just added to it. Uh, you might have heard from us um, some awesome new UMass hockey-specific designs, some old stuff with Minutemen logos on it, Cursive U logos, uh, some really high-quality premium hoodies. We're, we've been rocking the full collection. We're lo- I guess – I can only speak for me. I'm loving it, but what are you thinking about their their stuff since you've been wearing it for a few weeks now? I mean, I, f- I feel like you can probably speak for me on on my behalf. I mean, you, you guys have probably already heard me talk about it. I feel like for for this specific episode, I'm probably going to be grabbing the uh, what's the design? Someone that has like like the like the hockey player like attempting to like carry a puck basically, and it has a nice little like star with like a 21 next yeah. to like apostrophe 21. I'm going to be clutching that dearly tonight because I'm going to remind myself that. BC can never say that they won the 2021 Natty. So <laughs> I'll be clutching that tonight while I sleep smiling. It'll be like my nice little like childhood safety blanket, just having a great time. Other than that, though, I mean, things definitely, you know, in the hockey space are not going well, but home field is helping me get through it. I feel like I can say that with some pretty solid confidence. So shouts out to home field. Thanks for the sponsorship and uh, definitely happy to endorse your products on a, on a episodely basis, if that's even a word. Yeah, I wore the uh, the the one with the Minuteman standing on a hockey puck with the uh, Minuteman ice hockey circle going around. It got some compliments at the game on Friday night, which was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to check them out, and I highly suggest you do, homefieldapparel.com. Use code PUCK10. That's P-U-C-K-10. You'll get 10% off your first UMass order over there. It'll help you out. It helps us out a lot. So. Uh, If you want to go check it out, some really cool stuff going on over at Homefield Apparel. All right. So, uh, unfortunately, we do have to get into this these games here. Uh, UMass playing number one in the country, BC. We knew it was going to be a big weekend, a big opportunity for UMass, um, and and sneaky, kind of a lot at stake. Um, We knew going in, I believe UMass was either 10th or 11th in the pairwise going in. Uh, that a sweep would mean that we go down to 15th in the pairwise. We knew that going in. Uh, just a big log jam in the pairwise rankings right now between 10 and 15. So, again, a lot at stake. Uh, we get into this one. Uh, the lineup pretty much stayed the same, if I'm remembering correctly. 
Uh, not too much bouncing around there. Aaron Bollinger was the extra skater. We saw him get a lot. He was the extra skater last weekend, but he got a lot more minutes uh, than we assumed he would be in the extra skater. And just looking through, it looks like everything. Maybe uh, Michael Cameron shifting up to the third line center yep. was the was that, the big noticeable change in Lushmelis going down to the fourth line. Yeah, that was the one. And I mean, I think kind of the the crazy thing. I mean, I guess you know Michael Cameron being shifted around. I feel like that was something that we kind of talked about quite a bit. Like. Pretty sure we talked about him starting off the season, I think, on the first line. So he's been he's yep. been working his way around the entire lineup, like full stop. But yeah, I mean, other than that, things were looking pretty normal. And you know, I mean, coming off of a sweep of UConn, it's kind of a case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we were looking pretty good. And it seemed like that was kind of the lineup that was gonna bring us hopefully some victories this weekend. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, and uh UMass uh they came out not great, I think. It's been it feels so long now since there was the off day in between the two games. Uh, they didn't come out firing per se. They only finished the period with five shots. Uh, I guess just trying to catch their bearings. BC's a really fast team, and it took them a little bit of time to adjust. But defensively, they were able to hold strong for for the most part. We have five minutes left in the period. Uh, BC skating the puck in three on two situation. UMass is able to catch up defensively and a cross crease pass by Cutter Gauthier. Uh, it takes a really, really tough for UMass deflection off of Scott Morrow's stick, bounces right over the shoulder, a rabble. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time there was a fluky goal in this series, but real tough way to go down one nothing when you're facing the big uphill uphill battle that is BC this season. Yeah, and that's the thing I kind of want to stress a little bit, I think, before we get into more of this episode, because I feel like a lot of people think like, oh, sour grapes from UMass fans. Like they're not respecting BC. Like I get it. BC is a good team. You know what I mean? Like they're number one for a reason. They're very skilled. We saw that this weekend, but these, these first two goals, and so we're, you know, we're going to talk about them a little bit later. This first one, I mean, probably the definition of a fluky goal, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. he definitely did not mean to put this into the net by any stretch of the imagination. I think it went off Morrow's stick. It is what it is. I mean, Rabble was playing damn well up until this point, obviously didn't let in a goal up until this point, but for that to be the way that the ice kind of gets broken, it sucks. You know what I mean? Like that kind of was a little bit of like a morale deflator, I feel like, for the team. But you kind of figured like we would have had to have bounced back a little bit from that. So, I mean, really unfortunate first goal, but, you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. Yeah, and uh, I, I didn't mention before that goal, uh, things got sketchy with the refs in this series quickly. Uh, we saw a hooking call on Ryan Lawton back. Uh, I went back and watched the replay phantom call. He doesn't even move Classic. the player an inch. Uh, very strange. And then minutes later, Van Tassel gets gets taken down. I thought it was a slew foot. Um, the guy stands on top of uh, on top of him and just beats him down on the head. At least three punches connecting to the head while he's standing on top. And the ref is looking right at it. No penalty. Uh, they actually the UMass actually challenged for head contact penalty and they went in and said there was no major called so uh really rough start in terms of the refereeing i know that specific moment got you really fired up in the crowd yeah i mean if you if you want me to start getting angry this is probably the time to start doing it yep. i mean I'm, I'm i'm trying to reel it in for the podcast i've tried to i had a couple of drinks before this pod to try and calm myself down but i think they just got me a little worse <laughs> got me a little bit riled up but i mean i don't understand how literal assault is legal in the sport of hockey you know what I mean? Like you have a ref clearly staring at a six, four player. You know, Nick Van Tassel is a big boy, right? Yep. He gets taken down illegally. You know what I mean? Like via a slew foot 
and then you have him punching, cross-checking, whatever you want to call it, smashing his head into the ice multiple times, no call on the play. We then bother to review it because Steve Trackenberg upstairs, probably looking at film right there, probably, you know, talking to either Glukowski or Upton. I'm not sure who was, you know, working the comms on this game, but clearly said something to an assistant coach and said, hey, we got to challenge that. That's against the rules. We now have the refs looking at the video review with multiple angles, checking out every angle of this possible scenario, and then saying, hey, you know what? No, that, that's a hockey play. That's that's how normal hockey is supposed to be played. Is this a joke? Is, it, is this allowed? Because I'm telling you right now, if anybody else on UMass was doing it to the BC player, everybody on both BC Twitter and the overall college hockey world would be screaming for a call saying, how are they going to do this to somebody who's a first-round pick or whatever the hell? You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that you can say that this is a fair, unbiased call. This is a literal, by legal definition, assault. And this is allowed to go away scot-free because we're on, a, we're on a sheet of ice. You know, like, I don't get it. And it's going to end up getting worse, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it only gets worse from here on out. I'm going to save my breath, but... Good Lord, this is not a good start to the weekend by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, if the roles are switched here, we might see a headline after the game that Nicholas Van Tassel has been charged with assault. Yeah. Um, but refs looking right at it, doesn't call anything. Wild that that doesn't get called. Uh, so it's one nothing BC going into the second. Quickly into the second, UMass actually, they get a power play and they're able to put one home. Mercury is right on the doorstep. Uh, he's able to tap one past the goaltender. So uh, Mullins really got loud. This was a sellout crowd. The best, one of the best student sections I've ever seen from UMass. They got, they were able to get loud for the first time in the beginning of the second, which was awesome. But it was pretty short lived. This game got very, very chippy in the second period. Shortly after UMass's goal, Taylor gets slashed in the face. You could see it pretty clear. Uh, it's I put it in the video that we made about all the penalties from this game. He gets slashed in the face. They don't call it. The ref actually yelled at Taylor and the bench for wanting a call after that, which is crazy. Uh, you could audibly hear him yelling at I, – I don't, I couldn't tell if it was Taylor or the UMass bench. Um, pretty wild. Uh, go watch that video. He clearly gets slashed in the head and his head jerks back. But just seconds after that, BC is able to score another one. Like you said, another really fluky goal. This one's a – a uh, soft wrister from about where the BC bench is from Cutter Gauthier. Uh, it goes off of Scott Morrow's chest, I think, and bounces over Crabble's shoulder. But the big thing about this goal, there were seven guys on the ice for BC when the puck went in. Uh, you can't see it on the broadcast, but uh, all three of the commentators on the broadcast yell, oh, there's too many men on the ice as the puck is going in. And the refs inexplicably didn't see this one i don't know how they didn't there's seven guys on the ice but this goal is allowed to stand and it's two to one bc commentators saw it the umass players saw it everybody in the arena saw it apparently the only people that actually mattered in the circumstance which were the officials didn't see it and that ends up being the difference i'm not saying that having seven players on the ice necessarily affected this play it was a fluke little random ass wrist shot, you know what I mean, from the point that happened to take a deflection off of Scott Morrow. Scott Morrow was super unlucky on these first two goals. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't like he was playing bad, bad defense. It was just a weird little bounce, you know what I mean? Yeah. It is what it is. But having seven players on the ice is a penalty by the letter of the law, you know? And so the, I, I just feel so bad about that because we've gotten burned by that a few times correct. earlier this season like, for something so inconsequential. <sighs> 
I, uh, you completely reminded me of that. I literally did everything that I could to block that away from my memory. I consider <laughs> going to therapy to try and block that out of my memory. And yet here we are, you're being the worst person imaginable and reminding me of my past traumas. <laughs> and here we are talking about it today. I, I just, I don't understand what's going through the referees heads here. And I feel like if people are, you know, used to listening to us and they're loyal, you know, lifelong viewers of the pod, all two years that we've been on the, you know, in the podcasting space, you guys would know we're not the biggest ref complainers. It happens from time to time. It really only happens when it's majorly egregious. Like it has been recently. I feel like if we're complaining about it, you know that it's a problem because we don't like to be kind of typecast and pigeonholed into this whole, Oh, look at these entitled UMass fans. That every call should go for them. You know what I mean? Like we're not, we're not delusional. We, right. we know what we're talking about. Like this. And again, as we're going to talk about through the rest of this episode, this is not the only time that something like this happens. This, this is just step two in like the six step process of missed calls throughout this entire weekend. So again, I'm not going to elaborate any farther, but Holy crap, this is not a damn good start to the weekend by any stretch of the imagination for both the UMass team and their officials going like right now. This is insane. Yeah, I thought UMass is actually playing great hockey in the they second were. period. Yeah. Um, just really getting slowed down by the officiating. And a couple minutes after that BC goal, uh, a couple chances for Michael Cameron. He's able to skate in. Uh, the, the puck is out towards the side of the net. The goalie reaches out, Fowler, uh, BC's goalie, reaches out and actually trips Michael Cameron going after the puck. He goes down into the end boards. Uh, inexplicably no call there. I think that was a really easy call to the naked eye. Um, and then 15 seconds later, Michael Cameron's in on a breakaway. Really, really nifty move to, to put the puck from his forehand to the backhand through his legs. It was really nice. Scott Morrow-esque, um, I'd say. Yeah, really. He, he does pull that move off all the time. And he gets tripped by not one but two BC defenders on the breakaway. That was the most egregious visual, I think, that I saw from, from that game. You could see at the exact moment, two sticks from opposite directions are underneath each of his skates. Uh, it's pretty funny. And, of course, doesn't get called. Should have been a penalty shot. Doesn't get called at all. I think those two in succession are probably the most egregious non-calls of the weekend. So let me get this straight, Cam. So you're telling me right now, live on air on the High Character Podcast, there were three missed tripping calls. If we want to count two separate BC players in the second instance having a tripping call that was missed. We have three individual tripping instances that were uncalled by the refs in about a 15 to 20 second time span. Is that what you're telling me right now? Yes, and I think by the book, <sighs> both, of, both of those guys should have gotten penalties for that. If you yeah. watch the video, they both equally trip Michael Cameron on the break. I mean, that that kind of tells you all I need to hear. Like, I mean, we it's not like we didn't get our chances. You know what I mean? I feel like in both games, we got our chances. Like, we're only talking yeah. about game one right now. In game two, we got a bunch of chances, and it ended up not culminating into a win. But, I mean, you can't fault the boys for this weekend. We played, for lack of a better term, pardon my French, we played our asses off. You know what I mean? We played unbelievable hockey. And it was a mixture of just BC making their chances count. I'm not going to discredit BC. They're a good hockey team, but the refs. They're a great hockey team. Absolutely. Not- yeah, no, they're a great hockey team. Excellent. You're not, you're not number yeah. one for no reason. You're not lacking skill if you're the number one team in the nation. But in this specific weekend, in this specific instance, they got a lot of favorable calls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just. 
I don't know. It's super, super frustrating. I'm again, trying my best to not lash out and get angry because I would start flipping out if that was the case. But this, this is not a fun one to recap right now, Cam. I'll, I'll lay it to you like that. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't over in this period um, near the end of the period. Uh, it got real chippy because the refs straight up lost control of this game 100%. Mid- midway through the second. It started to get real chippy. Um, guys are getting knocked down after the whistle. Uh, no calls out of any of that until Ryan Leonard gets knocked down by Kenny Connors after a whistle. Um, if you watch the replay, I you can understand how it was only called on Connors, but if you watch it slow-mo, they're both going to shove each other. Uh, Leonard's just weaker on his feet, I, I guess. He goes down. Connors gets the, the, the penalty called against him, and right away, Ryan Leonard uses his speed, bursts through the entire penalty kill defense, is able to – is able to put one pass travel to make it three to one. That's how the score was at the end of the second period. And it was really shell-shocked feeling, I think, at the end of the second down three-one when it feels like we might have been the slightly better team up until that point. And we're looking at a three-one deficit with all of those calls in that period just like dazed. I think I think that's the way to explain how I was feeling. Yeah, I mean the like if you just look at it goal by goal, right? First two goals, fluke random deflections off a of Gauthier who is a sniper in his own right. Normally, he's able to put them bar down from anywhere he wants to. He's out here scoring crazy-ass deflections off of Scott Morrow, and that's how he gets two goals to start off the game. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And then Ryan Leonard off of a questionable penalty at the bare minimum. I'll give him credit on the goal. Damn good snipe. You know yep. what I mean? He It was a great zone entry by him. Picks it far corner right off of, I think it was Rebels blocker side. Really, really good shot. You're not getting picked eighth overall in the draft of Washington if you're not a good hockey player. I get it. But, like, there's context to all these goals, right? Yeah. And if you look at it from a purely contextual perspective, thing, thing, it's just – it doesn't feel like a 3-1 hockey game. You know what I mean? You feel like that UMass had done enough to – the bare minimum at least be be tied right now. You know what I mean? Like, we're skating with these guys, and we're matching them stride for stride for the most part. So, really, really unfortunate that we're down 3-1 at this point. It was, and uh, we go to the third. Uh, play got pretty stagnant for most of the third. A lot of neutral zone play, not many high-quality chances. Uh, until about three minutes left in this game, UMass started to really get desperate trying to get that second goal, and it cost them. They they turned the puck over in the neutral zone. BC gets a two-on-one, and Ryan Leonard scores another. UMass, I, I don't know if I totally agree with it, but they pull their goalie with two minutes left down by three, and they give up another quick one to make it 5-1. And that's how this game ends. BC wins 5-1. to one. The score was a lot closer than that. The shot total was a lot closer than that. UMass actually won the shot battle in this game, 26-25. to 25. So uh, I, I thought it was a really even game. I even tweeted after the game, I thought UMass was a slightly better team in this one. Uh, like you said, I think they had everything going against them in, in different ways. But um, they the team definitely deserved a lot more from the effort they put in this one. I think I think if I'm looking at this from a from an unbiased perspective, right? I think the game was pretty pretty even. Like I yeah. think if we're talking overall scoring chances, I think we both, you know, they're, they're, again pretty even. I feel like BC got you know their amount of scoring chances from questionable areas and questionable you know calls and stuff like that. I feel like we earned ours a little bit more, right? right. And Again, that might sound like I'm being salty or whatever, but I genuinely think like going into this weekend, if we had any chance to take points off of BC, it was going to be at home, right? Bigger ice sheet, just kind of more used to playing on that sheet of ice. 
having that home Mullins atmosphere. We packed out the arena. I think it was a straight up sellout or really, really close to the, the we, announced number is a sellout. Yeah. So, so there you go. I mean, everything was kind of in our favor on the weekend and you look at the scoreline and you say five, one, right. I feel like you can make an argument for, you know, most of BC's goals being either fluky or fully against the grain of play. You know, give them credit. Or they just were straight up shouldn't have happened because there's yeah, too many guys on the ice. Exactly. That, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, credit to them. Like, they made their chances count when they got them. But, like, it's just you look at the actual plays and you're just sitting there. You're like, how the hell are they? You know what I mean? Like, how are they getting away with this? Like, yeah. I, I feel like the scoreline is not reflective of how the game actually went. If you look at all 60 minutes of it and not just simply the box score. I think people will look at the box score too much and say, Oh yeah, no, nah, BC dominated them. Like they beat them five to one. Like, dude, watch the whole game and you'd realize that UMass was playing and they were they were matching them for a good majority of the game. Yeah, they de- UMass skated with them the whole game. They easily could have beaten them given different yeah. circumstances. Uh in some of those circumstances we talked about. Uh, just for the the moments that we discussed, UMass should have had three extra power plays and a penalty shot. Yep. So that right there, like you get those, you have a much better chance of of scoring some more goals in this game. And, and there was a moment we didn't even talk about where Ryan Leonard uh, checked, clean checked Suniev in the corner away from the play, uh, and then hit him hit him after the whistle on the ground. It actually injured Suniev. He was out for about a period's worth of time, but we didn't even mention that. That probably should have getting called, gotten called. But outside of that, should have been three extra power plays, a penalty shot, and you never know what's going to happen after that, especially with the home momentum with that full crowd. So uh, a maddening game. I think there's no other way to put it, and I, I don't think I really have too much more on this game. I was pretty mad. The only last thing I'll add, I mean, just to play devil's advocate here, are we really going to actually credit the penalty shot to UMass? I mean, knowing our shootout record, do you really think we we're going to score on that? Like, you know what I mean? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, maybe that's it is. It was on the one guy who has proven that he can score in that format. For yeah, us. I mean, Michael Cameron is our. If there is anybody on the team to be called a shootout specialist, I guess it's him. But you know, I'm just saying, knowing yeah. our our overall record in shootouts and breakaways. I mean, that's not really our our best look. I feel yeah. honestly, I'd probably just rather the power play. I feel like our yeah. power play numbers are probably just better. But no, realistically, I mean, it for for lack of a better term, an awful game from the referees. I mean, we like, like you said, you know, we made that video afterwards. I think right now, as it stands, probably sitting at around two thousand likes on Instagram. We're we're not delusional, guys. I feel like other people are agreeing with us. Other people were seeing what we were seeing. It, this isn't just a salty UMass fan thing. Like we're, we're we know what we're talking about. Cam, you did an excellent job on the video, as you should. You know what I mean. You're well experienced in the uh, how would I call it, short form video kind of area. I feel like creation. Yeah, exactly. Your your TikTok and your Instagram experience is, for lack of a better term, invaluable to high character and your own personal brand. So thank you. You you were killing it, buddy. Um, I wish you didn't have to make that video, obviously, because. I feel like we'd be a we'd have a couple more hockey points in our bag, and we'd probably have a much better pairwise situation if you didn't have to make that video. But <laughs> here we are today, and uh, yeah, really, really salty at Hockey East. I think changes need to definitely uh, come, and I'll be saying this exact same thing when we recap the second game as well. So, you ready to get into it? <laughs> yeah, let's let's get into it. So, um, we go to game two that. Very weird home and home series. Normally it's Friday, Saturday. Actually, Saturday was off for both teams. Game two was 
in Newton at 1 p.m. on Sunday. So that was pretty new for us getting a day game. Some pretty big shakeups in the lineup for this game. Uh, and, and it happened on the defensive side of things. We see Scott Morrow paired with Aaron Bollinger on the second line and Samuel Nassari paired with Owen Murray on the third line with Elliot McDermott as the extra skater. So an interesting shakeup there, trying to trying to make some change happen, I guess. Um, I, I don't fully understand the thought process behind it. Also, Don's Lushmelis and Michael Cameron switch places again in, in the centers. Lushmelis goes up to the third line center. So some some interesting changes. I'm curious to get your thought process on why they might have made that defensive switch for Sunday's game. I'll be honest. I like it. Um, I think when you're playing a team like BC, right, you know that on paper, holistically, they probably have a better lineup on paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, like with their forward core, their defense, they're a very talented team. You want to kind of spread out that talent in your own lineup, right? So, like, if you know that their four forward lines are all capable of scoring, you don't want to just have your, you know, your top two defensive lines kind of top loaded with that, you know, defensive stopping mentality, right? So, like, right. Ninasari was normally on that second line. He plays really well next to Scott Morrow, but like, to, to Aaron Bollinger's credit, man, I feel like he earned that that kind of step up to this to the second line. Like, yeah, we've been wondering for a while where he's been he's been playing this weird kind of extra defenseman but also third line defenseman role where he'll show up on the you know on the the line sheet essentially as the extra d-man but then he'll just end up taking up all the third defensive pairing minutes anyway really weird so like kind of like the de the de facto third pairing defenseman regardless but he's been playing really well in that area and i mean we'll probably end up mentioning it at a couple different points he had some really big defensive plays in this game like he looked really really good and i feel like if you kind of look at the defensive pairings right here, like you got a guy like Alger on the first line, you got Bollinger on the second line, who is probably the smallest defenseman on the team. He doesn't play like it. He's really adept at shot blocking. He knows how to position his body. He he knows what he's doing in a defensive sense. And then you move Samuli Ninasari, who is arguably one of our best defensive defense defensive defensemen, kind of sheltering a guy like Owen Murray, and you kind of allow Owen Murray to play more of a of a free flowing offensive style defenseman. I, I like the idea in theory, you know, you can, you yeah. can argue whether it worked in practice, but I think in theory, it looks really good on paper. Yeah. I, I was a little confused, but I didn't hate the, the overall changes there. And I don't think it really ended up being a, a factor. in Not this really. Uh, but what we get into it, UMass really didn't come out hot. Uh, the Lushmelis committed an elbowing penalty 22 seconds in. Uh, they reviewed it for head contact and, and they didn't end up calling a major, but UMass came out the gates really aggressive and uh, the, the way they came out the first couple minutes, I, I didn't love it. I love the aggressiveness, but they just did not look great. Uh, BC had a game plan and, and they, it worked pretty quickly into this game. Just about seven minutes in, we see them going cycling in their zone. They go low to high, find Ryan Leonard, uh, who has an, an incredible shot. He's able to bury one pass travel to make it one nothing and then later on in the second period as time is expiring we see a really i, I don't i don't want to say rough call we don't know what happened on the ice to, to like make this call happen but lucas mercury gets called with an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty he he's just charging the net uh the goalie gets to the puck first and he stops right in front of the net doesn't even look like he makes contact he gets bumped by a bunch of bc guys into the goalie and then four BC guys kind of swarm him. Uh, the play alone doesn't warrant an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, just seeing it at all. 
Uh, I'm curious if he said something in that scrum to to get that call, but just looking at it, it shouldn't have been a penalty. And very quickly on that power play, BC, their power play is one of the one of the best in the entire country. They have an electric power play. They're able to score one to make it two to one in the first. And vibes were not great at the end of the first. I'll I'll say that the team did not look great. For lack of a better term, it's a damn shame. Like that 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 Mercury play happens ten times in every coll- collegiate hockey game you can think of. Right. right? There's a classic little just scrum in front of the net. Someone gets a little overzealous. They'll start pushing and shoving. Goalie gets bumped. Happens all the freaking time. How do you get hit? Like the, the here's the perplexing thing to me is that I feel like ninety percent of net front scrums you get called a roughing penalty, and normally they're like matching roughing penalties. Like if almost the refs want to, almost if, always matching. If if the refs finally feel the need to actually like get a wrangle on the game, that's when the matching kind of roughing penalties start. You know, start up, and they'll say, "All right, guys." cut the crap, figure it out. You know what I mean? Like be normal. We we see right here, Mercury's getting swarmed by dudes. And then they say Mercury is getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Like you said, I don't know if something was said. I don't know if there was like, you know, I don't know what the hell could have happened in the scrum after the whistle, but to single him out after being swarmed by a bunch of people in front of the net, it's just, you don't make that call. I feel like in the moment, right. like, you have a close hockey game. Things are like they weren't even getting like super chippy. It was just a classic net front. All right, they're gonna start pushing and shoving, get them away. Ninety nine percent of the time, you just say, "All right, go back to the bench. Everything's cool. Keep it going." This is the one time where they say, "Hey, you know what? Eh, let's call a penalty against UMass now." And then here we are. Like now, all of a sudden, we're a man down. And this has been happening the whole weekend. We've already talked about wicked questionable calls on Friday, which for the record was with a completely different officiating crew, right? What, yep. what was the, what was the crew for the first game? I'm going to start, I'm going to start name dropping. That's how mad I am right now. We're name right? dropping early, huh? Um, dude, you, you, Walker you know Holton and Brad LeBlanc in game one clutch with the, with the, with the name drops cam. Cause you know how it is on high character. I know it hasn't been like that for a little bit, but I feel like everybody catches a stray. You know what I mean? Yep. On a high character party. It used to be like Merrimack all the time. And like, Holy cross. Like we would just start roasting their arenas. This time it's the refs, and they deserve it wholeheartedly. For the second game, Cam, you want to you want to end up bringing up? Oh no, I got it. Actually, ahead of you, Alex Berard and Stephen. I don't know. It's kind of French sounding. Ruillard, Ruillard. Yeah, however you say that. They they were the they were the officiating crews for this game. It looks like, and we might talk about this a little bit later if we get into like a full on ref discussion. But I'll mention it right now, very briefly, and if we want to expand upon it later, we can. The the complete like difference in refereeing styles between the two games was extremely apparent. In in the Friday game, you saw both refs calling essentially nothing, right? Like mm-hmm. trips were getting called, you know, like we're we're not getting called at all. Like they were just letting almost everything go. Van Tassel's getting literally assaulted on the ice, and they go, nah, no penalty. Now we go to the to the Sunday game. Every little thing is getting called. Like we'll talk about it later with some phantom goalie interference and questionable hooking calls. But this unsportsmanlike conduct right here just gets called essentially out of the ether. Like I feel like it becomes an issue where teams don't know how to play when it comes to specific refereeing crews. Like you have some groups that will just let everything go. And then you'll have some groups that will just call absolutely everything imaginable. There's, there's no consistency. Like players game in and game out don't know what type of refing experience they're going to get. So they don't know what they can get away with and what they can't like 
there's no consistency when it comes to hockey as refereeing, and it was especially apparent in this weekend, and I thought it was super frustrating, probably for both fans and players alike. Yeah, for sure. Four penalties in the first period across the two teams, none in the second. Uh, we, we moved to the second. It's 2 nothing BC, and for the first half of this period, UMass is just surviving on Harabal's back. Uh, yep. BC's able to get a good 10 or 12 shots in the first eight minutes of this period. And without Michael Rabble standing on his head, this game turns into a blowout very easily. Yep. He makes a, a, a lot of fantastic saves here, keeps UMass in the game. And after that onslaught was over, UMass had probably the most electric three and a half minutes of the season up until this point. Uh, we'll, we'll go through them real quickly. The UMass breaks out on a two-on-one. Uh, Kenny Connors has the puck. He snipes on home five-hole. Uh, makes it two to one UMass. Just a couple minutes later, UMass is skating in with the puck again. BC's goalie gets knocked on his bet on his butt by his own guy. Um, he actually, you could if you watch the replay, he flops, thinking that it's a UMass guy hitting him, but it was his own teammate. He goes to the ground. If you really put it in slow motion, you can see what looks like the goalie tried to take his helmet off to get a whistle. He wasn't able to do it. Idar Suniev skates around round back around front with the puck. He's able to tap it home to make it two to two. Um, just shows kind of the dirty mindset by BC if that was intentional, trying to take his helmet off. But again, just less than 30 seconds later, UMass, they have the puck again. Idar Suniev gets the pass from Lucas Mercury. He buries one home. Three goals for UMass in three and a half minutes. We were absolutely going crazy. On the first one, you could see us on TV. We got sent a few screenshots of that. Um, UMass crowd is riled up. Let's go. UMass chance across the arena that weren't getting drowned out. This was uh, – this is a cool couple minutes here. Vibes were electric, man. Like I was starting up chance left and right. I think me and you, we were featured on the on the ESPN Plus broadcast a couple times. I think almost yep. after every goal, we were going absolutely ham in the stands. Life was great. Like Idar Suniev is a guy that I've been talking about ever since he committed. Like I feel like I've been one of his biggest like hype men, if that makes sense. Like the moment that he committed, I was like, guys, it's special. You know what I mean? And I feel like I've been warning people from day one, and I feel a bit vindicated knowing that this is the type this, this is the type of thing that he can provide to a UMass team. You know what I mean? Like instant goal scoring, just getting just completely shifting momentum into UMass's favor. It's it's unbelievable the things that he's been able to do on the ice. But the thing that I really was getting me angry, for lack of a better term, was Jacob Fowler. Like yep. you don't get knocked down by your own dude. And literally you could see him like try and actually like with his, I think it was his blocker hand. It was lift his, up his own hand. mask. Or it was, was it his glove hand? hand? Yep. Right. Yeah. I must've been looking at it wrong, but I mean, just like you said, literally try and take off his own mask to try and stop the play. Luckily he, he clearly didn't do it well enough. I mean, I guess if he needs to go to cheating class and like, check it out, like in <laughs> at BC, I don't know if that's a class that's offered to the athletic department, but something was fundamentally wrong with his game plan to try it. Instead of actually making a legitimate save, he thinks, yeah, I'm going to play with the refs a little bit and see what I can get away with. Didn't end up working. The the high character, fast, hard, prepared, compete guys end up getting away, you know, you know, basically getting the goal on this play. But yeah, Fowler screwed up royally. And I mean, in what, what was the overall time that it took to get the lead here from, from the very first goal? It was like four minutes total. I think we got like three goals in like four minutes or something like 336, that. 336, I think, is the official There you point. go. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable stuff from UMass there because, I mean, me and you, we were kind of just thinking like BC's all over us right now. I think we were getting outshot like something in the 20s. To it was like, like 20 maybe, to 8 at one point. Yeah. Like, and again, like you said before, it was all up to Frabble. You know what I mean? Like if Frabble wasn't doing his thing, 
game could have been four nothing and we were just dead to rights. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is for lack. I mean, I don't want to sound like a like a pessimist, but we're kind of expecting that. You know what I mean? Like we know that BC is a skilled and talented team, but we knew that you know if something was going to change, it had to come in this period. We needed to show some fight, had to show a little bit of comeback, and we ended up getting it. So it was a really, really beautiful sight to behold. It was, and it was short-lived. Three minutes later, BC's got the puck in their own zone. They fire a shot from the blue line. Really good deflection by Jamie Armstrong. He uh, he gets a lot of the puck. Uh, not a lot of speed to it after he tips it, but he's able to get it past Rabble. And it's a 3-3 tie going into the third period. The emotions are real high. Um, I, it was at this moment that I really recognized how bad of a crowd that BC brought in. They played their <laughs> classic Mr. Brightside in the intermission. Yeah. Normally they have the whole arena singing. They turn the the song down so everybody can sing over it. Uh, nobody nobody was singing. There it was not quiet. a single soul. Yeah, there it was just nobody. sounds like they turned the music off and nothing was happening until it blasts back up in the in the chorus. But um, yeah, really tough showing there for them. We didn't really talk about that as the number one team in the country. But uh, we're a UMass pod. We don't gotta elaborate on that. Just just the <sighs> weird thing we noticed. But in the third period, UMass came out skating. They they looked like the better team in the third period. Um, and eight minutes in, they get awarded for it. They're cycling the puck in the zone. Samu uh, actually really great play to keep the puck in the zone here. The puck goes out to Samuli Ninasari at the point. He does a cross crease pass to find a uh, an open Donslich Mellis, kind of in the in the low slot. He he redirects it home to make it four three UMass. A really pretty goal, and, and UMass really deserved this one. Uh, they were they were controlling the pace of play in the third, and they got rewarded for it. If you could like watch this goal like without like nameplates or numbers, you would have figured that was a Musa goal. Like yep. I feel like Musa is like always the guy that's right there in kind of like that mid to low slot area. Like I think they call it like the bumper position on like the power play. I forget the exact terminology. I think it varies from team to team, but I think they call it the bumper spot. And that's exactly what you do. You basically just you wait for the pass to come through. You just bump the puck towards the net. That was exactly what Los Melis did there. It looked like a textbook Musa goal. Couldn't have been happier that it was Don Flosch Mellis instead. I mean, I feel like he's been a guy that's picked up his game over the course of the season. Like, he's had some lulls. He's had some kind of tough spots throughout the season. But when he's on his game, man, he I, – I wouldn't go as so far as say like a single-handed game changer, but he is a amazing complementary piece to an already like high-functioning offense. Like, he's just kind of like the missing piece where it's like if he's going back in the defensive zone, winning puck battles – taking it back up ice and then doing something on the offensive end as well. He's an amazing two-way player when he's on his game. And I feel like this was a perfect, you know, opportunity for him to show his offensive talent. And shout out to Simulian and Asari, a guy that we always talk about as kind of a shutdown D-man, shows off some amazing offensive instincts on this play as well. So really, really happy for this goal. Yeah, it was great to get that one. Uh, we thought there was really a chance we might be upsetting number one on the road. You'd but figure. In, in the back of your mind, when you play a Boston school, especially on the road as, as a UMass team, you got to imagine the rest are going to try to even it up a little bit more. Yep. And, and that happens just three minutes later. Um, Cole O'Hara goes to the box for a hooking call. I can see why it was called. Um, he does yep. have his stick wrapped around the guy. It didn't affect the play whatsoever. It was away from the puck. Uh, and the BC player looks like he kind of sold it a little bit. Uh, I personally don't think this should have been called, especially in a tight game in the third period. But uh, given the circumstances, that's that's how it that's how it went for UMass. Um, so BC goes to the power play. UMass is able to clear it immediately, and right away uh, we see the puck go right past the BC net. Lucas Mercury is going after the puck. 
Um, Jacob Fowler, he he pushes himself out of the crease. Um, he's not in the crease when this happens. Mercury tries to get around him. He's not able to fully get around him. Uh, he, he does clip him a little bit, but uh, didn't affect the play at all. He was the only UMass guy pressuring. There were three BC guys, and they're able to take the puck around the net. It was pretty inconsequential. Um, it didn't knock Fowler out of the goal. He's able to just scoot right back where he was, and, and he initiated contact. So seemed like nothing. But you look to the other side of the ice, the rest got his hand in the air. They called goalie interference here. Arguably the worst call of the weekend, um, especially watching it back in slow motion. This is a really, really bad call, and, and especially contextually knowing how good of a power play BC has. They're already on a power play. This is a tight game in the third period. This should not have gotten called, um, and it just makes me even more furious the more that I watch the replay of this one. All right, I'm going to start off from the O'Hara thing because I know you 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 gave a lot of info in a short yes. amount of time. So I'll you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm not gonna take my time, but I'll 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 say my piece. So the O'Hara penalty, I'll be honest, I get. Yes. You don't don't put your stick around there, even because again, like you said, inconsequential to the play. Like he gained nothing from having his stick in that area. The only bad thing that could have possibly happened there was getting a penalty call, and that's what happened. Was it a was it a crappy penalty call? Sure. Could he have done better to not even give the 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 ref a remote opportunity to even make that call? Yes, he could have done better. So I'll give the ref the benefit of the doubt. It was a stupid call, but Cole could have could have done his part as well. This is where I start to get really friggin' mad. You might have to put some bleeps in. I don't know, Cam. Best of luck on the editing for this. I this pisses me off beyond a shadow of the doubt. Mercury's goalie interference call, probably one of the biggest jokes I have ever seen in the history of, all right, how long have I been watching college hockey now? Since 2016? Eight years. Yeah, eight years I've been watching college hockey. That might be the biggest clown penalty I've ever seen in my life, regardless of all of the context that you gave, saying BC's power plays is good. This is what it could mean for the game. I don't even care about any of that. Like, if you're going to, if you want to be an unbiased ref, don't take into account any of the of the context regarding the teams that are playing against each other. I don't even if I was a ref personally, I wouldn't even care about how good a team's power plays and what that might mean to the flow of the game. If I'm being a ref, I want to look at is this a penalty when it comes to the rule book? If you have a goaltender coming out of his crease to impede the movement of a, of an incoming forechecker, that right there should just completely dismiss any ideas of a goalie interference, especially considering the fact that Mercury actively attempted to avoid the contact with Fowler. Fowler initiated the contact himself and then proceeded to flop, right? Throw his head back in discussing, oh, how dare he hit me? Oh, no. He's like a friggin' damsel in distress in a goddamn Disney movie. He's like a princess. <laughs> What's going on here? Like, I get Mercury's a big guy, but holy crap, man. Fowler, if you're that scared of the guy, stay in your damn crease. You know what I mean? Like, there's no point for any of that, especially, and I know I just talked about, you know, not having the context of the game taken into account, you know, with your with your penalty decisions. But, like, this is a tie game right here. You know what I Like, yep. I, I, I don't understand the thought process of, you know, don't even get me wrong. This wasn't a completely fairly ref game beforehand. This was not the turning point, but like at least the game was tied up at this point. UMass clawed their way back. And then this is going to be the way that you give them a friggin' like 
another penalty on top of it. Like you see, you, oh. I just, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I really just do not understand what's going on here. I, I want to see, this is the last thing that I'll say about, about the referee. Cause I think this is kind of the end of our spiel about it. Yeah. You know how like like the NBA kind of has like like the final like minute or two like like review of like where they'll check like every sort of like potential foul that could have happened in the game. Yep. I think you need something like that for hockey. Like there needs to be some sort of transparency, accountability, like some sort of like Q and A. Like for us as fans, right? Like I feel like we deserve answers for these types of things, right? Like. I don't know if it's like refs need to get like a Q&A session at the end of the game with media. I don't know like what needs to happen, but like for this to happen two games in a row on two separate days against the two exact same teams and for insanely questionable penalty calls or non-calls to happen in the same space against the same teams in the same series with, again, May, may this 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 is the crazy part two separate official groups right with two completely yep. different referees that at the bare minimum that has to call into question just the overall preparation when it comes to these referees like if if you're Steve Metcalf who is the you know the commissioner of hockey east or if you're what's his name Brian Murphy who I think is the uh he's a former NHL ref I think he's like the director of officials for hockey east yeah if you're these two individuals and I know for a damn fact they're not listening to this podcast right now but they're probably seeing everything that's on twitter right now because i think we've been tagging them like madmen if they're seeing this stuff right now and they and they were to you know if they're doing their do- their jobs diligently and they actually care about the product that they're putting on the ice as they should they can't look at this game and say everything's fine and normal here like there's 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 not a doubt in my mind that if they think that they're genuinely doing the right thing for both you know the integrity of hockey east for the sport of college hockey as a whole they can't look at this and say, I did a good job preparing these referees and I stand by their decision. You know what I mean? Like there needs, like, I don't even want an apology at this point. If I'm Carvey, like I'm, you're probably going to get into the Carvey's quote at the very end. So I might just shut up right here. But yeah, like if, if there's no way that this is a normally referee game when it comes to college hockey, like this might've been the worst weekend and for, for it to especially come against, the number one team in the nation right there calls into question the integrity of it. But also the fact that in, in, in my humble, maybe in this case, probably biased opinion with everything that I've said so far, but we could have beaten BC probably not on Friday. Let's be honest with ourselves here. Five, one is five, one. If you want to get really speculative and we want to play like the total butterfly effect, we might've won that game. But if we're going to talk about a game that we could have won, it was clearly Sunday, which would have been today when we're recording. That that was the game that we could have, at the bare minimum, taken points off of them going into overtime. We should have won this game. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the referees screwed us beyond a shadow of a doubt. And for for my for my closing word, something needs to change. Absolutely. Uh, we still have a, a little bit of game here to get through. I, I know you want to I know. Yeah, I know. I, I, I went off on my tirade. It was going <laughs> to happen at some point. I apologize to everybody listening. You guys probably are, are agreeing with me, though, from whether it's your car or your work desk or wherever the hell you're listening to. You're probably giving me some. Uh, what do they do at, at the end of like slam poetry? They do like like the little snaps. I feel like that's what yeah. you guys are probably doing in your chairs right now. So it is what it is, but we can move on. Yeah, yeah you kind of knew what was going to happen once BC got basically two minutes of five on three power play. 
Uh, it's Ryan Leonard. He scores on the five on three and the five on four. He gets the hat trick, five goals on the weekend for him. He's he's an impressive player. I'll give him that. He had a great damn weekend. right. Yeah. Um, BC takes the the lead five to four off of that power play. They're able to put home an empty netter. Cutter Gauthier, who also had a fantastic weekend, in uh, BC wins six to four. It's actually funny. Um, more insulting, honestly. Uh, with a couple seconds left in this game, the refs call a penalty on BC just to even up the score sheet. <laughs> yeah, um, it, yeah. It did not deserve to get called at all. I think it was another hooking call. Uh, very, very clearly just to even up the score sheet. So I thought that was that was pretty funny in the moment. But yeah, that's a six to four win for BC. They sweep the weekend, and uh, we'll we'll talk. I'll, I'll talk what Carvey has to say before we go into the like the more consequences yeah. about this weekend. Um, Carvel was not happy. Uh, you guys know Coach Carvel. He is not one to complain about the refs. <laughs> Evan knows full well. Um, he yeah. tried to ask Carvey a question in a post game scrum about the refs, and Carvey said, "You know, I can't talk about that." Um, so he I really goes out of his way not to mention it. And he actually talked about the refs after this weekend. He said, give my kids, give my kids a ton of credit. They fought through, but there's some things that they couldn't fight through tonight. Um, that's very telling for Carvey to say something like that. He never says anything like that. And for him to say that the boys had to fight through some extra stuff and uh, weren't able to get it done. was It's very telling. Uh, there's another, another uh, news bite that came out that he, talked with the the head of hockey east officiating that the guy that you mentioned earlier um the quote was that he Murphy, spoke, yeah yeah the quote was that he spoke to him uh from according to fight massachusetts on twitter uh it was it was carvel tearing him up tearing him a new one for 10 minutes so As Carvel clearly clearly displeased about this entire weekend you could see uh in the videos that we made about game one and two him shaking his head a whole lot so um He's he's also in disbelief with us over how this weekend went. But I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like, it doesn't matter how many apologies you get. It doesn't matter what happens. It's it's about what happened during the game. That's what gets recorded in the record books. That's what goes down the box score. That's what affects UMass's legacy. You know what I mean? Like, if if we won this game, as in my opinion, we should have with the way that we played, like. We got outshot crazily, maybe even got outchanced, but Rabble put up an unbelievable performance. He deserved the win with just his performance alone. He kept yep. us in that game, and we got enough goal support to help him out. And it just it, it didn't end up being enough. Like I'm a fan of it's an English soccer team, Wolverhampton. They've gotten screwed by like virtual like refereeing. Like they'll they'll have like like the VAR thing where like they check like the like the like the cameras and stuff. They've gotten screwed over by like penalty reviews and red cards and stuff like that. That's how I feel like things are going with UMass right now. Like, I, I don't know what it is about me. Maybe I got to start supporting other teams or something. But, like, every team that I support absolutely just gets destroyed by the refs on a weekly basis. Like, I don't know what the issue is. But, I mean, it doesn't matter how many apologies you give. We need transparency and accountability. And as it stands right now, none of that has happened in hockey. It doesn't matter how many backdoor conversations we have with the coaches and say, oh, well, actually, maybe those calls should have went a little bit differently, like we screwed you over. That doesn't give us points. That doesn't give us pairwise implications. That doesn't give us anything. Empty promises mean nothing when it comes to winning a national championship and making the tourney, as I feel like we rightfully should be right now. So the fact that Carvey tore somebody a new one, all that did was just give him a little bit of relief from his mental you know, state at, in the moment. It just blew off some steam. 
that doesn't put points up on the board and that doesn't help us with the goal that we try to achieve and what what the team is trying to work towards on a daily basis. They practice their ass off. They're out here throwing good crap on the pile like they try and do every weekend, like Carvey always says. It doesn't matter how how fast, hard, and prepared you are. If the refs screw you over, it's all for nothing at the end of the day. So that's kind of how I feel. It's super, super frustrating, and I think something, like I said before, it has to change because it's not working right now. It really does, and the consequences for this happening this weekend are much more dire than you might think on the surface. Um, even we came into this series thinking uh, it's not it's more more likely that we're going to get swept. BC is the number one team in the country, but with these two losses, UMass moved into 15th in the pairwise ranking. I believe they were 10th or 11th at the start of this game, and this season, the way the conferences are shaken out, 15th is one spot out of the dance. Season ended today. They would not be making the national tournament. And UMass certainly has their work cut out for them the rest of the year. Uh, UConn, or not UConn, UNH is coming up next. They just swept Maine. Uh, Maine's had a fantastic team this year. So that home and home is going to be a somewhat of a daunting task. Uh, the week after that is Lowell. You absolutely need to sweep them. Uh, before it was maybe you could get four or five points. Right now you absolutely need to sweep them. And then Maine, two games on the road. We know how good they are, especially at home. They were undefeated at home until a couple weeks ago. Uh, you might need to steal a game up there. So um, this has put UMass in a very precarious position. They definitely have their work cut out for them. Uh, they do have the possibility of going on a Hockey East tournament run that could help their pairwise. But do you just if, if we're sitting there at the end of the season in 15th place in the pairwise, yep. one spot out, this is the series to look back on, and I will be absolutely furious at our conference for allowing this to happen. I mean, I'll play devil's advocate as I like to do, Cam. Yep. There there were moments earlier in the season where we should have won games that we lost. Absolutely. Vermont, like the the what was it called? Like the Adirondack Invitational. Like Lake Correct, Placid yeah. was a friggin' disaster. Let's be honest yeah. here, right? Like there were moments where we could have got out of conference wins that would have helped us in our pairwise where this series wouldn't have been the end all be all regardless of that though even if we did lose those out of conference games and we did lose those random little like lower you know lower level hockey games to like Vermont and whoever this would have been the series where we would have made up for that and the fact we that could we have were cemented we could have cemented correct, the position this week correct i get that we were robbed i understand that but i'm just saying i i wouldn't call this like the series to look back on this was not a series that we were meant to win right like if i'm going to look back on any series i would have said i really wish we did better in lake placid against teams that we were quote unquote expected to win against mm -hmm. we weren't expected to win in the series would it have been great to win did we deserve to win potentially but like i don't know if this is like i get that hockey screwed us over i'm not denying you that by any you know stretch of the imagination i get that but for you know to to only mention this series, I think it might be a little bit disingenuous. I feel like there were other instances where we could have certainly taken points off and helped our case for the future, especially when it comes to things like pairwise. Certainly, but there's there's I, a lot I of completely blocks that go into the resume, your, like your postseason resume. Yeah, we we shouldn't need to be beating teams like New Hampshire and Lowell, and now apparently Maine. You know what I mean? Like, I think that you know, you know me. I've probably said it time and time again on the podcast. 
I, I'm not a big pairwise guy, right? I don't understand how the hell all the comparisons work. Like, I probably should. That probably should be my homework this coming off season. I need to understand how that stuff works. If I want to talk about a college hockey podcast, I should probably know what the hell is going on when it comes to pairwise. I rely on wonderful fans that supply me with a lot of that information. You know what I mean? Like, there yeah. are people that know this way better than I do. But for, for me to look at this so-called hyper-genius college hockey algorithm that tells you what teams are better than who – and I see us starting off this this weekend, what was it, 10th or 11th place? You want to yep. correct me on the specific yep. one, but I, I know it was one of those two. And now we drop to, what did you say, 15th? After losing to what is, quite quite frankly, far and away the number one team in the entire nation where nobody should be expecting us in any stretch of the imagination to just straight up beat them. Like, I forget what it was. Cam, I think you I think you ran the numbers in a it was like college hockey news is like pairwise thing. If we won both games, right? We would have only moved up to what ninth? Like Yeah, I th- I think just because tenth to fifteenth place was really bunched up, the, yeah, the pairwise like, score was very close for those. Like I, I just on a face value, you know what I mean? Like if you lose to the best team in the nation, you drop five spots, but if you beat them, you only gain one spot. That right there, in my opinion, is a fundamentally flawed system. Like that just it it seems insane to me on paper. I understand, you know, like how close all the teams can be, but just like looking at it without that content, like without that context, that's nuts to me. I feel right. like completely undeserved. I think we are better than, in my opinion, a lot of those teams that are within that 10 to 15 range. And you know, to give to give credit to BC. Those te- those other teams that are out of our conference that are within that 10 to 15 range, they don't have to play the best teams in the nation. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. probably cupcake stomping their conference right now and smiling as they do it. They don't have to play these God tier teams game in and game out. Like it's, it's super frustrating. Like I understand that it's cool that we play in a very, very competitive conference where every game means something. But when it comes to series like this, where every game genuinely means something it's it's good on one end and it's bad on the other end and i feel like we got the very very bad end of it this weekend and very very upsetting and very frustrating overall it is really frustrating and i think it takes away from the last thing that i wanted to talk about before we do awards this performance by umass this weekend was incredibly encouraging to me i thought we played great for most if like for most of the six periods of hockey that we played i this gave me a lot of confidence i i gotta be honest i was really nervous going into this series i thought there was a chance that we just got spanked both games pretty easily but just to see how the team competed how they came back down two goals just like the mental fortitude of this team i leave this series being much much more confident in this team's abilities down the stretch that's not to say that things can't happen. Anything could happen in hockey, especially in against good opponents in the six games that we have here. Um, they're also really good teams, but I have a lot of confidence in this team more than I did before this weekend started. And I think there's something to that for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of annoying thing, right? Like you look at it on paper, we got outscored. What is it? Five to 11 in the yep. series. Like it doesn't feel like it. You know what I mean? Like I, again, I don't know how many games, you know, we could, we should have won or what scores they should have been. We're playing, you know, complete and utter speculation there. But, like, knowing purely from the eye test that, yeah, did we get outshot a bunch? And, yeah, does BC look like a damn good team? Of course. But we managed to keep the game close. You know what I mean? Like, during our national championship run, did we dominate teams? I mean, we dominated St. Cloud, obviously. But, like, that Minnesota game? 
was tough as hell. You know what I mean? Like, yep. like there were games where you barely squeaked by. These were some games that, in my opinion, we could have squeaked by, and that's what you need to do to, you know, get crazy wins and you know move your way towards the natty. It's still possible, but if I'm gonna take the the you know not the doomer side of it, but like the negative portion of that, like we we could have you know we could have got points from this in in. In the grand scheme of things, these two losses very well could have cemented our place outside of the national championship. Like, that's what's super annoying. We could have made the national tournament. We could have made a run here. We still got six games left to play. It's not the end of the world. But like you mentioned before, if this ends up being where it, you know, quote unquote, crumbles down, that's a shitty way for things to go out. You know what I mean? Like, super, super annoying that, you know, we, t- you know, me and you, I feel like we've talked about it. I think I'm kind of more of like the Carvey quotes guy out of me and you. I feel like you don't really pull out a lot of like, you say the quotes after the game, but I'm yeah. kind of more of his like, you know, motifs and phrases, like throw good shit on the pile. Yeah. The, the one that I'm going to throw out here, you get what you deserve. That's, that's kind of, you know, I, I honestly, this is going to sound really sappy and really stupid. I look at that type of stuff in my own life. You know what I mean? Like you got to work towards what you want. If you deserve it, you're going to get it at the end of the day. If you have a coach that preaches that type of stuff day in and day out, and then you start getting results like this, where you get absolutely fucked over by the refs, excuse my language, you're probably going to bleep that out in post. I apologize. But you see that type of stuff and we don't get what we deserve. I mean, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, what's the point here? Like, you work day in and day out for all the things that we think that this team deserves, and they've shown that they deserve. And then for it to get ripped away from you, from something that is, quite frankly, out of your control, it it couldn't be a more demoralizing thing for what what is, quite honestly, a very, very young group of hockey players right now that are just starting to kind of – dip their toes into the collegiate atmosphere and this is their first exposure to college hockey and they get screwed over like this. I mean, I feel for these guys at the end of the day and it's super, super disappointing. I really do. Uh, the last thing I'll say before our awards, um, I didn't believe this before um, because there was still like the looming threat of BC have like us having not played them. I truly believe at this point that this group of guys can beat any team in the country um they have I, they have the ability to i wanted them to prove it against bc and even though they lost twice they still did to me so um if we are able to make the dance uh we're gonna have our work cut out for us in the next couple of weeks but if we're able to do it um i i can believe i can believe that we can beat anybody on any night and win four in a row there yeah i mean i fully think that we deserve what you know we deserve to make the tournament i think we've shown yeah. enough throughout the season that we deserve it it's just a matter of do you know do we actually get in there at the end of the day deserving and actually getting what you deserve are two separate things we've seen that time and time again in hockey is play i'm really hoping that we get what we deserve going forward yep we'll we'll see uh obviously we'll be uh keeping a close eye on it and updating you guys but how about we move into our awards yes sir let's get it all right the first one we like to give out ccc carvel's character and compete award basically the player of the series and Again, I feel like we've said his name a lot for this award this season. It's going to Idar Sunyev. Um, not a ton from the first game. There wasn't a ton from anybody in the first game. We only had the one goal. Um, and we can't give it to Rabble having given up as many as he did this weekend, although he did stand on his head for good portions of it. Uh, Idar Sunyev had a great game on Sunday. He had the two goals. He's all over the ice. 
Um, he might be UMass's most locked-in scorer on the team right now. I, is that crazy to say? I mean, it's really between him and Musa, isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's an extremely encouraging part of this team. You know, I was just talking about, you know, an extremely young team kind of dipping their toes into, you know, collegiate hockey play. These are probably two of the younger, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say younger guys, but like, you know, they're two freshmen. They don't yeah. have a lot of a lot of collegiate experience. And, you know, both Sudiev and Musa have been getting it done offensively, especially in the goal scoring department. I'm actually trying to pull up uh, elite prospects as we speak to figure out their exact goal numbers. But I know they're, you know, uh, so yeah, Sudiev actually overtook Musa for the leader of uh, goals on the team with 11, which... Wow. In the grand scheme of things, let's be honest here, it's not the most. I'm pretty sure Cutter Gochi has like 24 or 25 for BC right now. Yeah. But like for a UMass team where realistically the scoring is extremely spread out, that's that's a really, really solid number. You know what I mean? Like UMass at the end of the day can still score a fair bit of goals. They're just kind of not really localized onto one major line. Like we right. don't really have one, you know, high tier scoring line that will just match up with any team our, our scoring is very dispersed throughout our lineup but both Suniyev and Musa you know 10 and 11 goals you know for I guess 11 and 10 goals respectively they've been getting the job done in the goal scoring department you know but yeah very very happy for both of them but yeah Suniyev this weekend he was the guy for sure absolutely all right next our ward good try UMass uh who we think can do better for the next game out there uh, this one's easy given the discourse of this entire episode. It's the refs. We already name dropped him. We won't do it again. And we won't elaborate because we've talked a lot this episode about them. But uh, really deserving award. Good try, refs, in this series. 100%. All right. What's your custom award? All right. Custom award. I mean, it was a guy that you mentioned earlier. Um, you were basically saying probably can't be this guy because he let up a bunch of goals. I'm giving it to Ravel. I think he deserves it regardless. I'm calling it. And I quote, you guys will wonder why this award's called this. The face too many damn quality scoring chances award. Um, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> I mean, he he was being absolutely artillery bombed this weekend, right? Like you're talking about, you know, first and second round draft picks, all with you know, averaging at least a point, maybe a point and a half per game, highly skilled forward, just peppering him with shots left and right. And I mean, I feel like genuinely this might sound insane to say if it was any other goalie in the entirety of NCAA hockey, I think we would have got maybe double digits scored on us. Maybe not double digits, but we would have got maybe six or seven per game scored on us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was doing his part. I think he played well enough in the second game to deserve a win. That would have been unbelievable. I think again, with the questionable penalties and all that fun stuff, you know, you can't expect a goalie to save everything on a power play. It's a goddamn power play. You're down a man. Like it's making it difficult on your team. I I mean, I think he played well enough to deserve much more than he got this weekend. So, you know, we've talked about Ravel before. He's had some bad games. He's had some games where, you know, he gets too many goals against, you know, whether they're like barely trickling by him. These were goals, almost every single one of them that went past him. It it wasn't a bad goal that you can blame him for. So I think he played well enough to deserve much more than he got. So that's why I'm giving him the face too many damn quality scoring chances award because I mean, that's, that's the reason that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It kind of, kind of reminds you of world juniors, right? Facing a bunch of first and second rounders, um, except 
you don't have the type of refereeing in World Juniors that you do here. So yeah, exactly. he, he didn't get screwed over with all the power plays like that. But yeah, he, he looked phenomenal. He's not to blame for the losses this weekend at all. Um, more encouraging stuff for him in the second half of the season. I'm, I'm a fan of what he's doing out there. Yep. All right. And the award that I am going to give, I'm calling it the Checks All, Checks All the Boxes Award. Um, if you look through the score sheet, there's one guy who shows up quite a bit this weekend. And it's Lucas Mercury. He scored a goal on Friday, the only goal for UMass on Friday. He had two assists on Sunday. Uh, he also had two penalties on Sunday, and they were two big ones. It was the the unsportsmanlike in the first period that immediately led to a power play goal, and then the phantom goalie interference call in the third period that led to the goal um, that ends up giving VC the lead. So he's all over the place. I, I don't think either of I don't I'm not upset with either of those penalties for the record. Um, but his name's just all over the place. He he played a, a big role this weekend. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, Mercury is kind of like a, per, a, a perplexing beast. I feel like I could say like he plays really, really big. He's, you know, I like the style of his game, but like you said, he showed up everywhere. You know what I mean? Like for better or for worse. And, you know, we've already talked about it at length on this podcast. So I'm going to keep this short, but he showed up on the penalty sheet questionably for sure. But he sure as hell earned his goals and assists. You know what I mean? Like he is a you know, a much a much improved offensive player. I feel like is kind of the story of his season. Like he's you know we we saw what he could bring to the table when he came in as a freshman. Right, really big forward. He's like six two, six three, what two hundred, maybe two hundred and ten pounds. Big boy by all by all accounts. And clearly, you know, was it Carolina saw that in him. I think that's why they picked him was in the sixth round. I want to say like 2020 or 2021. He He's kind of an, an older draft pick, right? And he, you know, he has a lot of potential. And I feel like he's he's beginning to realize it. Like he, like I said, really, really solid offensively. And if he can just kind of keep it down on the penalties, I'm actually looking right now. He might lead the team in penalty minutes. I think he does. The yes. box scores on UMass's website is actually messed up right now. It looks like today's stats went in as like a new player entry for of each course. guy. It feels like that uh, happens all the time. I feel like yeah. the UMass box scores are extremely unreliable. I think it's something to do with like whoever like like hosts their like like web stats or something like that. Yeah. It it's screwed up. Um, I'll probably have to talk to the person that uh, you know, record keeps that stuff. But so, cool. so add add four minutes to whatever you find for him, maybe. Well, I'm checking. Him. I'm checking elite prospects, and I'll oh, be honest. Okay. I, I trust yeah. elite prospects. Like that, I feel like if, if we did it a second sponsorship. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think so. He has 23 penalty minutes right now, which actually leads the team. The second highest is shared between three other folks: uh, Suniev, who we've talked about at length, Ryan Lautenbach. And Cam O'Neill, I think Cam O'Neill's might be attributed to a couple of uh, game misconducts or like one game misconduct or something like that. I think he took a really bad penalty earlier yeah, on the season. But uh, yeah, Mercury has uh, 23 penalty minutes, which leads the team. So he, he has to wrangle it in a little bit. I feel like we've talked about that, but obviously some of these probably phantom bad calls, but I think there was a couple where he probably deserved what he got. So, you know, he, he's definitely showing up on the box score, like you said, regardless of if it's good or bad yep all right what do you what do you say we look at some of the uh hockey east out of town scores i mean we have to at this point considering all the pairwise implications yeah. let's talk about it so uh we mentioned it briefly new hampshire swept maine both games in new hampshire that is a huge outcome for them they're on the bubble themselves i think they're 
two pair wide positions away from us now. So they're making their move. They're going to be hungry to get some wins against us next weekend for sure. Uh, they're in a good position. VU had a home and home with Providence. First game was a tie that Providence won in the shootout. Really good out outcome for Providence. And then BU won the second game at home, five to two. Vermont took on Merrimack. Both games up in Vermont. Uh, Merrimack won the first one, five to two. Vermont won the second one, four to one. So a split there. And Northeastern played UMass Lowell. Uh, UMass Lowell won four to two. Uh, surprising outcome. UMass Lowell having a really down year, and Northeastern was on the up. Uh, they had just won the bean pot on Monday. So uh, interesting outcome for them. They they were thinking they could sneak into a pairwise position, but that really hurts their chances there. So um, some surprising outcomes. I think the New Hampshire main one's the biggest one by far. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you're like reading my mind whenever we do these recaps. Like, yeah. I mean, you always basically point out the one that I'm going to say. Maybe that means I'm too predictable. Who knows? But um, yeah, UNH, I mean, it's the guys that we're playing next weekend. We got to take care of business. Simple as that. They just took out Maine, who is one of our big time uh, kind of hockey standings rivals. I feel like we're, we've been trying to overtake them for quite a bit. Hasn't happened yet. But um, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that weekend goes. I feel like, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like if they if they beat Maine twice, doesn't that kind of mean that like their pairwise implications are like, for lack of a better term, juicier? Like, I feel like if we beat them, doesn't that mean a bit more because they beat Maine? So I feel like we'd be able to like, get even higher up in the pairwise rankings because they started to beat better teams. Does that make sense? Like, am I like kind of talking to my ass here? Or is that, is that like a valid thing? Like you, again, it makes sense, but I don't know if that's how it works. We'd probably yeah. have to consult somebody on that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just like from, from a baseline level though, I feel like if we start beating better opponents, we're in a good spot. Yeah. UNH has been climbing up the standings right now. We got to beat them. We got to take care of business. Also, Quick shout out to Kurt Keats. He actually just liked your video that you posted on High Characters uh, <laughs> Twitter saying that uh, hockey's officials are clowns. So shout out to Kurt Keats. Hope he's doing well. Thank but, you, uh, Kurt. I actually yeah. have an update. You said New Hampshire is climbing up the standings. Yep. Uh, UMass and New Hampshire are both currently now tied for fifth place in hockey. Good Lord. All they right. Both, so this is getting dangerous. Yep. They both have 28 points in the same amount of games played. UMass was fourth going into the weekend, but Providence jumped them with their tie against BU. Um, they got two points there. So they now have 30. They're in fourth place. If the season ended today, UMass would be going to Providence for a road game. Uh, and they'd get a first round bye, but they'd be going to Providence for the road game. So, uh, yeah, it looks like BU, BC, you're not going to catch them. Maine is very catchable. They have a four-point advantage on us. So the most that we can get is, is three spots ahead. Um, so yeah, interesting there. Those those two the the more we look at things, the more we dive in, the bigger those two games against New Hampshire are getting. It's pretty crazy. We gotta get the job done. I mean, I've already said it, so not gonna elaborate any farther, but yeah, hopefully uh UNH is a lot more important than we previously thought it would be. Yep. So let's let's talk about them then. New Hampshire 16, 11, and one. They're nine, eight, and one in the conference, but like we just said, they have the same number of points as we do. Their home record is 11, three, and one. So, really good home team, five and eight on the road, um, not getting the job done on the road. Uh, they have two wins against Maine this year. Uh, they're, they have three games against them, two wins. Their first game was a loss. Uh, they have a win against BU, they have a win against Quinnipiac, they have a win against Northeastern, uh, tied to Providence. Uh, another win against two more wins against Northeastern. So their their resume is is pretty good here. Uh, they're a team that they started out really hot. It was kind of weird. Um, 
kind of unexpected. I think they were the, the hot topic of Hockey East for a couple weeks at the start of the season. Yeah. They had slowed down a little bit, but it seems like they're catching back up and they're right on the bubble of the tournament again. So they're a hot team. They're gonna be a they're gonna be a tough matchup next weekend for sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we were we were kind of talking about a lot of the usual suspects. I think it was like Sila Clerk was really, really good. I think we uh we played him last season. He was pretty dangerous. Um right now their main guy, Ryan Conmi, Conmi. I don't know. You might have to help me out with the pronunciation on that one, but he's a freshman averaging over a point per game. Absolutely lit it up in the USHL the season previous. So I mean, guy knows how to score. You know, he's a sixth round pick to the Kings. He might be pretty dangerous. We'll see how that goes. And I mean, their goaltending, we kind of thought that I think I think it was last year, Tyler Muselik was gonna be the guy. I think he's a Florida draft pick. He was supposed to be like dirt nasty, like really, really young guy. Hasn't really caught on at UNH yet. So right now they have uh Jacob Helston or Jakob Helston. I don't know, he's Swedish. Who knows how that first name's gonna be uh, pronounced, but uh <laughs> He's a he's a, a University of North Dakota transfer, and his numbers at you know UND were mid to, to you know to put it bluntly. Uh, he's kind of figured it out at UNH. I mean, two point one six save percentage and nine oh five save percentage sounds like to me they don't give up many shots. Um, just because I mean his goals against average is so low, and he has a pretty uh-huh. decent save percentage, so. I mean, that kind of tells you a lot of the story right there, but yeah, they give well, up 24 shots a game. That's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. So they seem like a pretty defensively responsible team. I know for a fact, me and you, we're going to be up at new at UNH uh, this coming weekend. Cause we got to do an arena review up there, which yep. uh, should be, I think our second to last arena review. If we want to count Mullins in there as well, which we will end up doing at some point, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, again, hope we get the job done there because uh I feel like going into the season when we did our season preview, this game was going to be in in our eyes kind of a cupcake game. It seems like UNH was normally kind of the bottom dwellers of, of hockey East, but I feel like I've said it before. College hockey is kind of cyclical. You know what I mean? Like you'll have teams where they're kind of having a down year, then they start to come up again, and then they'll come back down again. So I feel like they're kind of in like their you know good era, if that makes any sense. But you know they're they're definitely figuring it out right now and. They're, they're as dangerous as they come, so we'll we'll see how it shakes out this weekend for sure. Nothing crazy jumps off the screen looking through their team stats. They they just have the stats of a solid team. Like they're, they exactly three point two goals a game, two point six allowed. They don't give up a lot of shots. They over twenty percent on the power play. Um, they're a plus faceoff team, fifty two percent. Seems like them and their opponents have a lot of major penalties. Twelve combined major penalties in their Ooh. games. So far this year, so maybe they're a team that likes to get under their skin, uh, play a little bit dirty like that, so we'll have to see. But, uh, yeah, they're just a really solid team, kind of in that same tier uh, with UMass, Providence this year, kind of that 10th to 20th in the pairwise all season. Uh, and, and they're hot at the right time, and they, they have all the uh, all the inspiration to get a win being on the bubble right now, same as UMass. So it's, it's going to be a good series, I think. You know what that means, Cam, though? We got to play smart. We got to yes. we got to play really clean, solid, effective hockey because we try to get too cute with them. They're going to punish us. But right. in the same vein, we just we got to know the, the right time to do things, if that makes any sense. Like we got to know when to take chances against them. It's just all I feel like this is going to be more of a physical or like a mental 
than like a skill type of like a type of series if that makes any sense yeah like, if bc is a full skill type opponent this one exactly be who can make the least mistakes exactly like that you're you're much better at putting this than i am right now so i appreciate that uh that input but the only other thing i'd like to add this isn't a boston team so that means who knows maybe the whistle might go in our favor this week you know what i mean like <laughs> doing a little research though the hockey east commissioner is a unh grad and so is the uh oh. so is the director of officiating for hockey east so god <laughs> no i thought we were gonna be in a good mood cameron and, and we so will good. leave you on that that is our episode um thank you guys for listening if you listen this far uh we know it's uh, a tough listen you might like somebody to to sympathize with you um in fact, our, our our two end of the season episodes are our two most viewed. So I think oh, God, that might yeah. actually might actually make a case there. But thank you guys for listening. Um, hopefully next next weekend can be better. It can't get much worse than we got this weekend. So at least we have that looking out for us. So uh, big games, got to get the job done. Need a lot of wins down the stretch here. So we'll see if UMass can get it done. I, th- I think we have all the ability in the world to do that. Uh, we just just about making it happen. So thank you guys for listening. Go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody, and figure it the hell out, hockey-used officials. You guys stink. (laughs) 